This is the Championship Chat Podcast, your home of news, views and debate from England's second tier. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Championship Chat Podcast. I'm your host, Elliot Jackson, and as always, I'm joined by my trusty Lieutenant George Smith. George, how are you doing? Not too bad, mate. Not bad. How's things with you? Yes, good, thank you. been a Busy old week with uh, two games, two press conferences and uh, transfer deadline day on Thursday. So it's, it's been a, a very busy week, but we've got a free week next week in the Championship, uh, which I'm looking forward to. Chance to, to take stock and reflect a little bit more on how the start of the season's gone. Um, but no, I'm all good, mate. How are you? Yeah, not bad, not bad. Watched, uh, watched Wednesday dish up a bit of a dire performance on Saturday, but... Uh, they're entitled to an off day so aside from that all good can't complain too much just glad the transfer window's out of the way yeah me too absolutely as always a, a reminder to make sure you're subscribed to this podcast feed which you can find on all your usual platforms and make sure you're following us on twitter and instagram at champchatpod24 big thank you as always to our sponsors cards accepted for supporting the podcast this season if you're looking to take car payments with no contract or monthly fees visit cardsaccepted.co.uk they provide a discount on the RRP of all some up devices, so make sure you go and check them out. Now, due to some uh, work scheduling, um, unfortunately, we are recording this earlier than we normally would on a Sunday. We're recording this Sunday morning as opposed to our usual evening slot, which means, unfortunately, we, we are going to have to miss out the four fixtures on Sunday, which obviously it's, it's a rarity, first and foremost, that there are four fixtures on a Sunday. Oh, is it three? Sorry, three fixtures and one tomorrow is it we're missing four though aren't we yeah one on monday night so we're missing the the three sunday fixtures and one on monday night unfortunately it's a rarity that there's that many games not on saturday anyway and it's the one week where unfortunately our, our work schedules completely clash and we're on opposing shifts so this was the only time we could have recorded before like tuesday night so this is the best alternative it does mean we are going to touch on all eight games in the usual depth so we'll go into the draws of which there was a couple so um, if you're a fan of a team that drew this weekend, you're going to get a bit of a, a bumper analysis, which I'm sure you'll all be delighted about. But it was another good weekend, George. Plenty to look forward to and uh, ready to get stuck in. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. And we'll start, George, with the new Championship leaders, Norwich City, as they strung together their fifth successive Championship win to beat Coventry 3-0 at Carrow Road. Timu Puki back in the starting eleven, scoring goals. He's had a couple of games on the bench, initially dropped out through injury. And then, of course, the, the form of Josh Sargent has kept him out of the side. But even when he's been coming on, he's been making an impact. He set up the winner at the Stadium of Light last weekend. And he was really good. He, he took the first goal really well. His first of the season, tip, very typical Timu Puki goal. I, I think if, if I told you to describe a Timu Puki goal in the Championship, it would be that sort of low side foot finish with an advancing goalkeeper. Um, and then the second goal was probably the pick of the bunch. Really good move. Um, Aaron Ramsey, particularly impressing playing in, in the number 10 role, somewhere where he can run beyond. And I think that's something Norwich have perhaps missed with with the players that have played in that role before in this season. They've not had someone that will run beyond the striker. And I think we saw that with the second goal, Puki drifting out to the left. Nice turn of pace, actually, from Puki. I know, I know he's not slow, but... I didn't think he was quite as quick as that to, to get in front of uh, Rose, I think it was. Slipping Ramsey and really nice move with the extra pass to, to pick out Sargent, who uh, extends his goal-scoring run to make it 2-0. But it's five wins in a row for Dean Smith's side. 
I think the most important part of this run for me is the fact they've only conceded two in that time and they've picked up three clean sheets, which in the early part of the season was a big concern. They were getting done on transitions a lot. You think of the Wigan game, the Hull game where that happened. And I think you can now visibly see the confidence starting to come back into the Norwich players. They, they know they're comfortable at this level, but it's quite difficult to showcase that week in, week out when you're used to losing after a, a pretty dismal Premier League campaign. But now it feels like that confidence is starting to come back. I still don't think they're at the best, but a remarked improvement from where we were, what, three weeks ago with, with Dean Smith under real pressure. Now it's five wins out of five, three clean sheets, and they're top of the championship. It's been a remarkable transformation, hasn't it? Very, very quickly. And when you bear in mind at the start of this run that they've been on, they were bottom at the table after the first three games. So they have gone from the bottom to the top with five successive wins. And I think the thing what I like most about Saturday's win over Coventry was it was a it was a convincing win. A lot of their victories so far have been fairly slender. Obviously, 1-0 at Sunderland, 2-1 at Birmingham in the week when they won it late on. But against Coventry, they were commanding and they got the job done by half-time. Really pleasing to see Timu Puki back in the goals. And like you said, it was it was a trademark Timu Puki finish. It's what he's renowned for. It's what he's done over the last two or three years in the Championship. And hopefully for him, now that will kickstart his season and get him moving. As good as that goal was, I thought the second one that Josh Sargent converted, I mean, the, the build-up play was just sublime, wasn't it? It was superb. It was slick. It was pleasing on the eye. And that was that's what we've come to expect of Norwich in the last few years at this level. They are, you know, when they put their minds to it, when they're up and at it, probably the best side in this division. So... Josh Sargent, another goal for him, another assist as well for the third one for Kieran Dow. So he's kind of been the surprise package for them this season because when they came down, everybody automatically, us included, looked to Timu Puki as the main source of goals. He was going to be the man that was going to try and fire them back up at the first attempt. And all of a sudden, they've got this new new man in Captain America that is Josh Sargent, who's really in a real hot streak at the minute. He's doing really, really well. Kieran Dow, good moment for him as well. Getting up and running, good finish, good low finish. And I think for Dean Smith, the biggest aspect for him is the fact that he he said after the whole game, when they lost 2-1, when they went to the bottom of the league, that he wasn't too concerned by the performance. He felt they were there, just a case of poor defending and not taking the chances. It seems like that they've managed to get everything together now in a very short space of time. And you take away those first three games, Norwich have had a really good start to the season. And we're at the point, eight games in, the table's still settling down. We're still yet to really see a team pull off into the distance, so to speak. Um, as we record on Sunday morning, Sheffield United, if they win their game at Hull Sunday afternoon, they'll go back to the top of the table and we'll be the leading contenders into next weekend. So it's, it's going to change all, all the time at the minute. It's still settling and things like that. But Norwich, I think they can be very pleased. Five wins in a row at this level. We know how difficult it is to achieve. Regardless of who you are, it's not an easy task. And it sets up a very, very intriguing game against Burnley next Friday night, which... Looks like being a really mouth-watering contest on Friday evening at Turf Moor. Looking forward to that one, I must say. But for Dean like Smith, every it's... single Burnley game has been on a Friday night I, so far this season. Even I know, though it obviously, hasn't. But it does feel like every single Burnley game has been televised on Friday night. Burnley are the new Leeds United, aren't they? Of Sky mm. Sports and the Championship. But no, it does. It does seem that way. Burnley on Friday night. I think that'll be what the fourth or fifth time, something like that. Definitely at it's, least four. Yeah, Huddersfield, Watford. West Brom, Norwich, yeah, be the four, fourth out of their opening nine games come Friday. So Sky have clearly got the Vincent company loving. But to be fair with the football they're producing, I can see why. We'll talk about that later on. But for Norwich, they've turned things around. They're looking confident. And the fact that, as I said at the start of this little spiel, 
the fact that they won commandingly on Saturday, they were convincing, they were comfortable and they got the job done. So for, for Dean Smith, a lot to be positive about. And, you know, the transfer window's done. He's got his squad together now, onwards and upwards. We spoke last week about Coventry and we both quite unanimously said we weren't concerned. I am a little bit more concerned than I was seven days ago with the two results that they've just produced, particularly the one in midweek, I would say, against Preston. It's one win in five for them. Um, I am, I'd say I'm a little bit more concerned. He tried to shake up the, the starting eleven a little bit with uh, a different team selection. He left uh, Jokeres and, and Matty Godden on the bench, went with Casey Palmer and Tyler Walker up front. Didn't work, if I'm being completely honest. I'm a little bit more concerned than I was this time last week, but... I still think they'll be fine. I'm not predicting they'll go down or anything, but they do need to get some points on the board pretty sharpish. And I think you're starting to see now the real effects of the fact that they've, they, you know, they've missed three home games because other teams, when you start hitting the six, seven, eight game mark, I feel like that's when the natural fitness and your best sort of football can come out because you you naturally fit and you're able to do, uh, you know, you're able to get around the pitch. I do think Coventry are now looking like they are a little bit behind. It's not very Coventry-like to go over and get their tummies tickled in the way that they were at, at Carrow Road on Saturday. That That's just not a Coventry sort of performance for me. Um, equally, I thought, you know, losing 1-0 at home against Preston, it, it, they're just not very Coventry-like results, particularly getting, you know, so comfortably dispatched as they were against Norwich. Yeah, I would agree with that. I mean, it, they have been put at a disadvantage with the no home games, haven't they? It's a, it's a very unprecedented situation that they found themselves in at the start of this season, and that is bound to have impacted what they've done so far. Because when you when you think back to the first game of the season at Sunderland, that second half Coventry played really really well. They could have won that game quite easily. I was really impressed by them. Me too. And then obviously a few days later we found out the game against Rotherham was postponed, and it's all kind of unravelled from that point onwards. So at that point, say at the, at the, at the point of the Sunderland game, everything was normal in their world. Everything was, you know, new season. They were preparing for a home game after that. And everything obviously has unravelled since then. Let's not forget, they obviously had to play a Carabao Cup game at Burton's ground as well. They got thumped by Bristol City and that. So they've, they've played one game in their stadium since the end of last season. It's bound to have an impact. But I think when you look at the results that they've had, they blew a 2-0 lead at Millwall. Same score at Hull 3-2. Beaten finally back at home 1-0 by a Preston. Obviously haven't, hadn't conceded a goal up until that point. Not an easy task. Norwich, you know, they've got into a stride recently and have been still unbeaten at home. So they've not had the easiest official. It's Hull won every game at home so far as well. So that in, in think, that though, respect... That clearly Mark Robbins can't be that pleased or he wouldn't have sh- no. tried to shake up the team as much as he did. Definitely that's not. That's just not Coventry's best team, is it? No, it's not. Not at all. To leave both of your main source of goals out of the team is a very bold decision, particularly at a team like Norwich where, you know, You've got to take your chances when they come your way. So it is a little bit concerning. I think it is concerning as well the fact that obviously they've gone two games now without a goal. They are bottom of the league, but they obviously have played fewer games than everybody else. So you've got to factor in that. And they've only had one game at home. And like I said, the opponents they've had away from home, they've all been tough opponents in in different variations, such as Sunderland. They were having to play the occasion, their first game back in the Championship. Millwall, never an easy place to go. Hullard won every have won every home game so far as we record this, and Norwich are you know flying high and at the top of the table. So in that respect, they've not had it easy. But at the same time, one point from their first five games is not very good, regardless of who you've played. It's disappointing. It's underwhelming, 
And considering that after what they did last season, they they were right to have feelings that they could mount a playoff push this season. It's certainly not the start they would have wanted. And Mark Robbins is bound to be a little concerned because, you know, he was he was not saying it's over for him, not by any stretch of the imagination, but it felt like they were onto something last season, like they were going to be kicking on this year. And to be bottom after five games, you know, it is going to have an impact on the players. It is going to, you're going to look at that table. And people say you shouldn't look at the table until 10 games in, but regardless of how many games you've played, you don't want to be at the bottom of the league. No chance. You don't want to be propping it up. So they've got to turn it around quickly. They've got to try and find a way to come back from this. But I still think they'll be fine. There's a long, long, long way to go. They've got very good players. They kept the vast majority of the squad together. You know, they've got goals in the team. Jokeres, Godden, Callum O'Hare, they managed to retain, get him back, get things moving again. I think they'll be fine. I really do. But West Brom up next at home, you know, they've got to, got to look at that and think we've got to take a win. We've got to get that first one on the board sooner rather than later. Five goal thriller at Ewood Park, George Blackburn Rovers two, Bristol City three. This was probably the most tepid five goal affair you'll ever see. It was not a good game of football, as daft as that sounds. There was five goals. It was not a five goal thriller whatsoever. Um, credit to Bristol City, up to third with four wins in five, eight unbeaten in all competitions, and they they were far the better team. The the fact that this was a one goal deficit flatters Blackburn a lot to put it mildly. I thought Bristol City were far the better team. It, there were chances for both teams at nil-nil, and I think if Blackburn had got in front at nil-nil, they could have won the game, definitely. But once Bristol City went in front, they never looked like they were going to lose this game of football. They are so dangerous on counter-attacks and in transition. Andy Vyman, best player on the pitch by a country mile, very closely followed by Alex Scott. Um, and you saw with the first two goals, they were just devastating transitions. Bristol City worked the ball from inside their own half. Alex Scott skipped past a couple of players way too easily from a Blackburn perspective. Um, Vyman burst past Dom Hyam, who got two men. Good cross to the back post and, and a header for Tommy Conway. And he's been absolutely fantastic as well at the start of this season. And you look at the attacking options they've got. They've got Vyman, they've got Wells, they've got Conway. And then they've got Semenyo to bring on after 17 minutes. They've got Chris Martin, who didn't even get on the pitch. Um you know, Narky Wells obviously got a couple. He got a brace, first of which really nice finish. I think Hayden Carter lets him back inside a little bit too easily, but it's a devastating counter-attack. And as I say, the second goal actually came from Blackburn's best chance of the second half, where it's a shot from Dolan, which is well saved by Bentley. The ball breaks, and then I think it's Scott into Conway, Conway into Vyman, and then Vyman sets Wells off on the counter, through on goal, checks inside, good finish past Kaminsky for 2-0. And then Blackburn sort of get themselves back in the game with a a pretty well-taken goal by Tyree Stoll, a really nice first touch to set up the chance. But then they concede two minutes later from a set-piece. Free kick comes in, flicked header off the post. Thought Kaminsky had saved it. It was a bit confusing at the time as to what had been blown for um, because Naismith put the ball in, but the whistle had definitely gone before Naismith scored, but it was Nalki Wells' rebound that had actually crossed the line. Um, for Bristol City, so much to like, and I think Nigel Pearson, in his post-match assessment, you could see that he's starting to really enjoy working with this group. I'd say Vyman's such a talent. He's definitely up there with the best players in the championship. Alex Scott will not be a Bristol City player next year. I hope he stays in January and I hope he has another full season at the championship level before moving on to, quite frankly, bigger and better things. He's a Premier League player in waiting, a really talented young player who I think we'll probably see play for England one day. And the thing about Scott that particularly I like over the course of, of watching him and covering him, he can play so many different positions for such a young player. He's played right wing back. 
He's played as a number 10. And he's more recently played as a, a sitting midfielder in a, in a double pivot in the 3-4-1-2 the that they play. Matty James is obviously the, the more defensive of those two options, screening in front of the back four. But to have the maturity to play in literally as a number eight in the centre of midfield, as well as number 10, as well as right wing back, and to be so multifaceted at that age, he's an he's a outstanding talent. Um, and Bristol City look really good. If they can keep, you know, even three of those five forwards that I've just listed fit consistently, Vyman being the key, in my opinion, I think that they've got a really decent chance of pushing the top 10 and certainly improving on last season. What I would say still as a concern is Blackburn didn't really threaten all game, no real sustained periods of attack, and yet still scored two goals. And that, that's still going to be the, the slight question mark that hangs over Bristol City. But going forward, they are electric. Bristol City, for me, are threatening to become the surprise package already, really, really quickly. And there is so much to like about what Nigel Pearson has done because, you know, last season we were talking about, and, you know, even, what, two or three weeks ago, we were talking about how they've got to score three or four goals just to ensure they can win a game because they're so poor at the back. Yeah, they conceded two on Saturday at Ewood Park. But let's just not forget the run that Blackburn are currently on. I'm just going to reel on a few stats now. Eight games unbeaten in all competitions, four wins in the last five championship matches, back-to-back league wins, and they're now up to third in the table as we record this. It's unbelievable. It really is, considering they had a really, you know, lacklustre start to the season. Obviously, lost at Hull on the opening day. Then they lost the second game as well to Sunderland. You know, it's been a really poor start from their perspective. But since then, they've not looked back. They've been absolutely brilliant. And you talk about the attacking options that they've got there. It's unbelievable the range and the quality that Nigel Pearson is getting out of these players. And I just want to want to point this out. Tommy Conway, Andres Weiman, Naki Wells and Antoine Semenyo. The four you consider as Bristol City's main men, the main architects in chief. 17 goals between those four already in all competitions. for most of the season. Yeah. Andres Weiman, four goals, four assists. Tommy Conway, six goals, two assists. You know, the opening week, the last weekend of July, Tommy Conway, me and you probably would have never even heard of him. He has burst onto the scene in quite remarkable fashion. He took his goal so well at the weekend. Naki Wells, likewise, his, his first one for Bristol City, second. Weiman, obviously, the architect of both of them. And I think the pleasing thing is now that Bristol City is showing is, obviously, even though Weiman's creating them, they're not relying on him and him alone to put the ball in the net. They've got other options. Wells has really kicked on in the last couple of weeks, to be fair to him. He's really come back into the fore. And we know what Naki Wells is capable of. He's a good player at this level. He's scored a lot of goals in the championship in his career. So I think Nigel Pearson is really onto something. He's blooding these young players coming through the ranks and they have slotted in so, so well. The summer signings, Cal Naismith, we, we said what a brilliant signing it was. We're starting to see the impact he's having now. You know... And they've recruited from lower down the chain. Obviously, Mark Sykes came in, Kane Wilson came in during the summer. So it is a case of they are beginning to implement that philosophy and the route they want to go down. But already the danger is Bristol City going to face is can they keep hold of their star men? Because they're performing so, so consistently. Alex Scott and Tommy Conway are both, obviously, the youngsters that are really beginning to shine. Vyman is an established championship player getting better and better with age. Semenyo, the best is to come from him. So all of them are in the shop window for very, very different reasons. So I think you've got to be mightily impressed with what Bristol City are doing. I mean, the fact that they lost their first two games and have gone unbeaten since then, 
it shows what a turnaround they've had. And to have gone from 23rd to 3rd in the space of three weeks is just remarkable, really. They've been on a brilliant run. And you, you look at what they're capable of. And Nigel Pearson, I was a little bit suspect about him last season. I thought, has he lost his magic? Because we know what a good manager he is. But he never really seemed to be able to get anything consistent out of this group of players. But over the last few weeks, he's certainly shown that he is capable of getting the best out of them. And you look at their fixtures to come. They've got Preston at home next weekend. That's a game they're capable of winning. But then they've got back-to-back away games at Norwich and Burnley. So I think that'll be a real test of see where we do see where this team is at. But they've got the players to hurt these teams. That's the thing. They've got top-end quality attackers. So they're looking good. Things are looking promising. And, you know, could they be outsiders for the playoffs this year? I think if they keep the squad together in January, they've got a really good chance on current form. As well as Bristol City play, Blackbird did make it quite easy for them at times. Four, four wins, four defeats from their eight games. For me, I think they might rue the lack of central midfielder that they didn't bring in the transfer window. They, they, they brought in Tyler Morton, um, wanted to keep the pathway clear for Adam Wharton, who was obviously sensational in midweek against Blackpool, and Jake Garrett, two young academy players. I still think they, they, they do miss a physical presence in the centre of midfield. Now, Lewis Travis does provide that at times. He's currently playing at right back, which is not ideal because Callum Britton's injured. But there was just a real lack of intensity or tempo to their play, which is in t- particularly intensity. That's something Yondal Thomason has, has, has preached about since he came into the club. So for that to be lacking so badly, particularly first half again, and that's becoming a, a recurring theme as well, the, the, the slow starts. Um, the injuries aren't helping. You know, three of their first choice back four probably missing in terms of Britain, Ayala, Wharton. Um, we're all missing at the weekend. So it's, it's a patched up defence still. I think that they they will be a team that will desperately benefit from having a free week and, and having some time on the training ground, hopefully in the next month or so, to, to bed in this group and really work on what they want to do going forward. Millwall 2, Cardiff City nil. First winning five for the Lions. Big result this. Um, and I think it just shows the, the ability Gary Rout's got this season to freshen up the team, freshen up the squad. I think it's probably the best squad they've had since he's been in charge, in my opinion. Shifted to 3-4-3 for this one with, with Shackleton moving to right wing back rather than playing in the centre of midfield, which he has played at right back for Leeds. And then the two subs getting the goals, Charlie Cresswell with a header, um, pretty similar to the, the, the brace he got on opening day against Stoke and Benikafobi with a nice individual goal off the bench as well. He's got a lot of good options. As I say, I think it's the best squad that Gary Rowett's had. He's got the ability to chop and change. Obviously, they, they, they've been so heavily reliant on Jeb Wallace for the last few years. It doesn't feel like they've got a star player, but it feels like they've got more options. You know, they started with Tyler Bury, and they've got Fleming, they've got a Phoebe, Bradshaw, um, Mason Bennett as well. They've got different options. George Honeyman, they can they can mix up that sort of three that play at the top of the pitch, whether it's a number 10 and two strikers or one striker and two number 10s, as it was at the weekend. They can mix that up. They can freshen up the midfield as well with Saville, Mitchell, Shackleton, uh, Evans at times. So I think... That will benefit Millwall when they are going through a poorer run, which they recently were, that they can make changes rather than it having to be the same players going out every single week. So, big win this for Millwall at the Dem. Hugely. They really, really needed it. Obviously, had a really torrid run recently. Three games, no goals scored, three defeats. It was it was a challenge for Gary Rout, but they've come through it. They've got a 2-0 win on the board and... Charlie Creswell, the unlikely hero, a goal and an assist. You wouldn't have um, expected him to do that at the weekend, would you? And 
you know, he's obviously found himself in the right place at the right time to convert that first one. And Benny Kafobi's produced a moment of magic for the second to get off the mark for his first of the season. He desperately, desperately needed that goal. And Millwall, you know, even though they've been had a rough patch of late, you know, nine times out of ten, they are going to be a tough opposition to beat on their own patch. And they've proven that. They've won three of the first four home games this season. And I think Gary Rout would have taken that. We know what Millwall are like at home. They're a really tough nut to crack. And like you said, they've got various options and he's got the ability to mix things up if he wishes to. And he did that at the weekend and it had the desired effect. And I know you can look at it and say they're up against a Cardiff side who are struggling for goals massively themselves, but you've still got to get the job done and Millwall did that. So Gary Rowett's just got to hope now that it can be a sign of better things to come because I think he will be a little bit underwhelmed and disappointed with three wins from their first eight games. I think that will be a little bit underwhelming. But they've got to try and find a way now to win away from home, haven't they? That's the big problem that Millwall faced. They have four away games this season. They've only collected one point. So it's clear where the problem lies because we know how good they are at the Den. Obviously, they had a blip against Reading last weekend, but they've won three of the first four at home. So if they can continue to do that and pick up more points away, I think they'll be all right this year in terms of continuing that progressive run that they're on as a football club collectively. But... Like you said, it's just a case of he's got that many options. Is it a case of he doesn't really know what his best team is yet? It could be a case Quite of possibly. that. I think it could be because, he, you know, they've added to that attacking area in the summer. Obviously, Honeyman, I think, is a terrific sign. We know what he's capable of. Fleming's come in with a decent reputation. A phobie's come back with the ability to score goals. You know, there's, there's a lot of things and a lot of variations that Gary Rowett can try. But the biggest thing for me is they've got to find a way to be more imposing away from home. Obviously, they were they were on the cusp of defeat at Swansea, let's not forget. They could have lost all four away games. It was only for two own goals in injury time that they salvaged a point from that one. So they've they've got to find a way to improve away because at home, generally, they are a really good side. So it's clear where Mobile's problem lies. So a good win for them at the weekend, but important not to get too carried away because obviously away from home, they're, they're not so good, unfortunately. Goals are a problem for Cardiff City. They obviously brought in Callum Robinson on deadline day, which I think is a good acquisition, but he's not a number nine, it has to be said, but he's probably good for 10 goals in the championship if he's playing regularly. Uh, probably will play off the left, maybe, with O'Dowd or, or Ojo on the opposite side. Um, probably good for 10 goals, maybe, but he's not the number nine they probably wanted. I do. I have to say, I thought uh, Nkuku looked really good at, from left-back, from the, from the darts, you know, losing... Um, the the first choice left back who got injured in the in the early weeks of the season who looked promising was a blow, but bringing Nkuku from Everton, he looked really sharp. But Cardiff again, it's it's goals, isn't it? That's that's still a concern, and I'm not convinced they've definitely solved that issue in the transfer market yet. No, I agree with that. It's I, I agree with you. Callum Robinson, I think, is a really good sign. I think Cardiff have done well to get him. To be honest, I'm surprised more clubs, with respect, that you expect to be higher up the ladder this year haven't, you know, managed to win the race for his signature. So I think it's a really good signing, but he's not an out and out striker that Steve Morrison has been craving all summer long. He is gonna he's more of a winger, isn't he, even though he is capable of chipping in with goals, there's no doubt about that. But it's four goals scored in the first eight games now, and it's five games without a win. It is a little bit concerning, especially when they got off to a relatively good start beating Norwich, beating Birmingham in their opening three games. It's been down. It's been downhill ever since. So it's clear where the problem lies. But unfortunately for Steve Morrison now, unless they can pick up a free agent from somewhere, that problem of being without that recognised out and out number nine, who's a top level player at this level, 
is going to persist until January. So I don't think for two minutes it's a case of a lack of trying. I just think it's a case of the, the market. It's obviously so competitive for a striker towards the end of the window, which it is. So it feels like they've missed a trick or been unsuccessful in their efforts to, to get somebody through the door. I do think Robinson's a good signing. I've always liked him. I think he's a really good player at this level. But, you know, they've gone all summer without really bringing in a recognisable number nine. And that is a problem for Cardiff, considering they let James Collins go in the summer. And, and Vassell went as well, even though obviously he didn't have the best record in the championship. It was still obviously an alternative option. So for Cardiff, they've got to find a way to, you know, make the make the best of Callum Robinson, I think. I think he's going to be their main outlet, isn't he? He's going to be their main main threat up front now to try and make things happen. But, you know, it's a problem that is going to persist. And for Cardiff now, you look at their upcoming fixtures, they've got Hull at home, Middlesbrough away, Huddersfield away, Burnley at home. It's not an easy set of fixtures to come. So for Steve Morrison, he's got to find a way to make the most of what he's got and get points on the board. And as I say, unless a free agent crops up, he can't do anything about it until January. It does feel like Cardiff might be one of those teams that have got a really good home record that, that keeps them out of any real bother, but a pretty mm. horrific away record. That's how I think things are shaping up already from their early games. Preston North End, nil Birmingham City won. This was a huge win for Birmingham. As we touched on the pod last week, the, the, the feel-good factor against their decent-ish start, um, for, certainly for the first two or three games, that was pretty quickly disapparating, really. Um, but a 1-0 win at Preston, which I don't think anyone really saw coming. It was both of our bankers last week. That went well. They, they have had a good week, Birmingham, because it's been a good deadline day, signing Hannibal on loan from Manchester United and getting uh, Titi Chong on a permanent. They did ride their luck at times, I did think. I, I'm not sure it was a foul by Troy Parrott for the equaliser, but the whistle might have gone before he put it in, in fairness. But a good win nonetheless and, and some grit, some determination. And I liked the look of the starting eleven more in a 3-4-1-2 with Chong behind two strikers in Dean and Hogan. Uh, Hannibal obviously will, will give them more quality in the final third as well. And having a, a fit Christian Bielik will be a, a big boost for them. He... Came in for his first start. By all accounts, he was he was one of the best performers. And we know what a quality player he is at championship level, if he can stay fit. So, a really good week, I think, really, for Birmingham after a, you know two or three really bad ones and, and a much-needed lift for the club in general. Without doubt. They really, really needed to win that game at the weekend. And we didn't give them so much of a chance, did we? We were Preston's clean sheet record. But they proved us wrong. And Maxime Collam popped up with the all-important winner. And... I noticed there was one thing that really, really stood out for me at the end of that game on Saturday was the way that a couple of the Birmingham players, they almost pushed John Eustace to the away end in significance of saying, the fans, you need to applaud him. He's masterminded this win. Because the strange thing with Birmingham is, as bad as the run they've been on, they've not been thrashed by anybody. That's the weird thing. And people always look to Birmingham as being a side that are going to struggle season after season. But nobody. Nobody's thrashed them yet this season, have they? Aside from Rotherham and Norwich, nobody else has put more than one goal past them. And the Norwich defeat only came as the result of late, late, late on an added time in midweek. So the question is about Birmingham, really. Have they been that bad or have they just been a shade unlucky at times? Like you say, the recruitment in the latter stage of the window was really good. Tahiti Chong, I'm sorry, but he was never, ever going to cut it at Manchester United. It's it's the perfect move for all parties to have got him in on a permanent. The Birmingham fans absolutely adored him last season. They said he was, I remember seeing one, I think it was after when he destroyed Luton. 
I think it might be his first or second game, something like that, away from home. And they were saying that he was one of the best players they'd ever seen in the Birmingham shirt. And obviously injuries scuppered his, his long, long-term long um, ability to carry that form on last season. We, we really saw, oh. didn't we? It, Birmingham started, he was such a big influence on that Birmingham team. And we yeah. saw the decline oh God, in yeah. Birmingham as soon as he got yeah. injured. Yeah, we did. We did. He is a really good operator at this level and he is a bit of a luxury player and I think he needs to put an arm around him. At Manchester United, they've got high hopes that, for him. But it never got to the stage at Man United where you knew he was going to be a part of their plans for the future. He'd never got he's not good enough for the top end of the Premier League. Harneyball, on the other hand, I think that is a really, really good signing. Manchester United, as you know, obviously I cover Man United day in, day out for work. The club have got really, really high aspirations for him. He's a real, real talent and I'm excited to see how he gets on. It's the first time that they've sent him out on loan and this is an opportunity for him to really kick on and show what he's capable of. Eric Ten Hag is a big fan of him. I remember when Ralph Rangnick came in last year, on his first day, he immediately raised him to the first team training rather than the under-23s. He got him involved in the first team straight away. So United see something in him for Birmingham. They've got a really good chance to, to see something special this season with him. So, you know, it's been a good week or so, as you say, and it's capped off with a, with a victory. They finally ended Preston's clean sheet run, which I did begin to wonder was ever going to end. Absolutely remarkable achievement, I must admit. I mean, I know you can talk about the lack of goals, which is a huge concern for Preston, but to have kept seven clean sheets out of seven, that is it's a remarkable a silly, achievement. It really? It's, a it's unbelievable. It really is unbelievable, but at the other end, Ryan Lowe must be beginning to get worried now. It's it's a real concern that they've only mastered two goals in eight games, yet to score at home. It, it's a bizarre situation, and it is actually bordering really funny, but not in a not in a funny funny way sort of thing. Preston fans will not be finding it funny, that's for sure. They'll begin begin to get sick of it. Unbelievable! But it's just funny. it's just. It's just unique, isn't it? I've never experienced anything like it. It's really strange. Looked at you know data and underlying stats and XG and thought, nah, we're not having any of that because they're they're just outliers, (laughs) aren't they? Like this, they're so outperforming their XG against and so underperforming their XG for. Obviously, the the Emil Reese Jakobsen speculation hasn't helped. He's not really played. Went back into the team finally at the weekend. I don't know how Troy Parrott's not scored a goal yet. He's he's got one of the highest individual XGs in the championship, and I just think he's been a bit unlucky. Really, I don't think he's been you know that snatching at his chances too much. As I say I think the goal he scored against Birmingham probably should have stood, albeit I'm not sure when the whistle went. So maybe Birmingham fans would say that, but I, I think he's been very unlucky. But you know, it's got to be a concern when they just they've scored two goals all season and none at home. It's really strange, isn't it? It is bizarre. It's a unique situation that we're unlikely to see again. But, I mean, for Freddie Woodman, he's not had a bad start to the season. Seven clean sheets and eight. I'm sure he'd have taken that, but I'm sure he would have preferred it with a few more points on the board in threes. So, it's a strange situation. Preston have got to find a way. And I thought, after the win at Coventry, I thought that was going to inspire them, you know, to really open up and kick on and get their season properly moving. They'll be disappointed with that result on Saturday. They really will. But full credit to Birmingham. They did a professional away job and they got the job done. And for them now, they've got to try and build on that and move forward. Because like I said, when you break that Birmingham squad down individually, there are some very good players in that in that team. So if John Eustace can mould it all together, hopefully they can enjoy a far better season than they have in recent years. Luton Town 1, Wigan Athletic 2. Luton's struggles at Kenilworth Road, which obviously was the bedrock of their 
top six finish last season, you know, really struggling at the minute. They're yet to win at home in, in fixtures that you would say, you know, they've not played anyone brilliant either at Kenilworth Road. So it's a surprise they've not won one yet. Um, obviously took the lead in this one with another Carlton Morris goal on course for the win, but then two goals in the final 10 minutes, an 80th minute own goal from Tom Lockyer, which was quite unlucky or quite fortunate if you're a Wigan perspective. And then an absolutely, probably the goal of the weekend, George, from from Feo Asgard. Only scored two goals last season, his first championship goal for the Latics. Really good finish, fantastic strike, curled into the far corner. If you've not seen it, it's definitely one worth trying to dig out. Goal of the weekend for me. And it just shows we can have got quite a lot of good attacking options if things aren't going right for them. Obviously, Callum Lang, McLean, Josh McGuinness is usually the starting trio, but then you've got uh, Charlie White still working his way back to, to full fitness. Nathan Broadhead off the bench. And then Feo Asgard as well, giving him plenty of options, Liam Richardson. Good away win for Wigan, especially after getting flumped by Burnley last week in a game that they were probably unlucky to lose 5-1. I think it was probably a bit of a generous scoreline on, on Burnley, but they were clinical. This is a really good response, especially the, to show the, the resilience and the grit. And I think we saw a lot of this when they won the league in League One in particular, didn't they? Where they were just hard to beat and, and they didn't really know when they were beaten either. So to be 1-0 down away from home at Luton, who, who generally have got a very good home record, to score two goals in the manner they did, have the belief to get back in the game, and obviously a, a brilliant piece of individual quality from Asgard to win it for them. Yeah, it was a huge win. Really, really important win. And, you know, with 10 minutes to go, you wouldn't have seen that coming. Obviously, Callum Lang with a deflected effort to put Brigham level. Then Asgard, like you said, moment of brilliance to win it. So, for Liam Richardson, that is a priceless three points. And let's not forget Wigan. They're still unbeaten away from home so far. They've not lost on, on the road yet. They've only lost one game overall. So, I think overall, I know they've had a few draws in there, but... You know, I think they've had a really solid start. I don't think they can complain too much. New to the division, not got the most talented squad for championship standards on paper, but have got a good variation of attacking talents that can do things at this level if they really, really go for it. I think and variation is the right word. They've got players that can Callum, do different, different jobs. Yeah, because Callum Lang, I mean, he was superb in League One last season. He really was one of the standout talents. But, I mean, Wigan, you look at it. They've, they've played seven games so far. They've had one less than most others because they were supposed to play Coventry. They've taken 10 points. I don't think that's a bad figure at all. I think it's a very respectable start. When you look at what's around them, they've picked up more points than West Bromwich Albion have. They've only picked up one fewer, and obviously Hull play later as we record, but they've only picked up one fewer than Hull, and Hull have considered to have had a great start. So, I think Liam Richardson can be very, very proud with the way Wigan have started this season. They, they've had to be compact at times. They've not been able to open up and go at their fluent best, but they've been able to find results when they've needed to. And, you know, they got a point against West Brom in the week. It, it's, a, it's a positive start. It certainly outweighs the negatives by a long way. One defeat in seven. I mean, you can't grumble at that for a newly promoted side. So, for, for Liam Richardson now, it's just about can they build on that? And obviously, the thing that they've got to try and conjure up is can they get that first home win? That's the thing where they've really got to try and find because I fear with Wigan, even though obviously both their wins so far have come on the road, they are going to be better at home. Obviously, they've got Blackburn at home next. Then they go to Huddersfield. Then they've got Reading at home. Then they've got Rotherham. So they've got a set of fixtures coming up where you think they could get a decent haul of points. So it's a big period for Liam Richardson coming up. Three games before the international break. But if they can get to that point, you know, around, I don't know, 12th to 16th mark sort of thing in the table... I think they'll consider that a really successful start. I think you're absolutely right that 
he's just the sort of manager, Richardson, that, that can really eke the best out of every player. I don't think it is the most talented, you know, certainly a bottom half championship team, maybe bottom eight in terms of talent. But he's the sort of manager like Paul Warren at Robert United that can just eke every little bit out of those players. They'll run through brick walls for him. They're never going to be the most fluent, attractive team in the championship. But if they try to play like that, they probably might get relegated because it's not the style of play that suits the set of players they've got. And he gets the most out of them. And they certainly don't play bad football by any means. So really good start for Wigan. I completely agree with you. And um, they'll be hoping to get a few more points on the board in those upcoming fixtures. Um, Swansea City won at QPR nil. Now I've, I'm ready for. I've got a bit of a rant coming, George, because my uh, biggest pet hate in football was uh, on display at the Liberty Stadium or the Swansea.com Stadium, as it now is. Why do referees need football players to chuck themselves to the ground to give penalties? It absolutely Who knows? does my it does my head in because Chris Willock is fouled by Ben Cabango after about seven minutes. It's a penalty, it's a foul, and it's a red card. And because Chris Willock doesn't chuck himself to the ground, because, let's be fair, just because someone's pulling your shirt, it doesn't make you fall over, does it? But because he hasn't fallen to the ground, he doesn't get the decision, and it should be a penalty and a red card. What If you don't want players to chuck themselves about, which I don't, and, we, and I'm not talking about diving either, because that's a separate issue, but players that go down under minimal contact, but it is a foul, but they chuck themselves down, and everyone's like, oh, they've, they've, why did they throw themselves to the ground? This is why. Because referees, for some reason, won't give fouls even if you stood up. Now, if it's outside the, the box, they do. Because how many times do we see players run, someone pulls them back on the halfway line, they're still stood up, but the foul gets given. Why does that change in the penalty area? It makes no sense. And that's why players chuck themselves to the ground under minimal contact. And I'm not talking about diving, as I say, that's different where there's no contact. But that was a foul. But it equally was a foul that was not enough to knock someone over. But because he's not gone to ground, he doesn't get it. And it's a red card and a penalty. And that completely changes the course of the game. Now, on a separate note, Swansea deserved to win the game. They were the better team. Really impressed by the fact they managed to create, you know, an XG of, of 3.06, which has been a real struggle for them. They, they definitely have changed tactically a little bit. He went more pragmatic. Swansea only have 45% possession, which is obviously unheard of for them. And it's been a good week with four points. Joe Perot back in the goals with a goal in midweek and the winner here. Separate issue. Swansea probably did deserve to win the game. They were the better team. Um, nice to see Russell Martin deviating a little bit because the recent tactics haven't worked this season, have they? Particularly at home. They were seven without a win at home. Hadn't gone eight without a win at home since 2013 when they were in the Premier League. So credit to him for changing the style. But that it just if I was QPR and I thought Mick Beale was pretty measured, if I'm being completely honest, I thought it was quite understated about the, the decision because you, you'd be furious no matter how your team's played. After seven minutes, or it was certainly in the first 10 minutes, for you to have a, a penalty turned down that's a stonewall penalty and a red card because it's he's not tried to play the ball. It's definitely a red card. There's no double jeopardy. It's, it's a game-changing decision. And it's a pet hate of mine because people complain about players chucking themselves to the ground, but equally they're not doing anything to help it by giving fouls when players stay on their feet. Well, I think you've just about covered every point there. Do I really need to say much more other than let's be, let's face it, it's been a disastrous weekend for refereeing across yeah. the board. The Premier let's League not, seen some incredibly dubious decisions and we saw another one in the Championship. I mean, Chris Willett goes down, it's penalty, but why does he need to go down? If he goes down, 
in my opinion, he looks an idiot for going down. Correct, that's the point. He will look an idiot for going down because even though there's a clear tug, it's a foul, he's going to get absolutely ribbed and ripped to pieces for going down and looking like a total fool. But why does he need to go down? The referee's got a decent view of it. It's a penalty. I can understand why McBeal's really angry because, like you said, it probably changes the whole complexion of the game. QPR may go on and win the game. Take that decision out of it. Moving on to the football aspect, Swansea fully deserve to win the game. Probably their best showing of the season so far, I thought. Certainly much improved compared to what we've seen. Joel Pirro obviously missed the penalty and you thought he's going to be another one of those days for them. But then he answers the call and, and you know, buries a really good finish the second time. So, he'll be pleased. He's finally finding a bit that of form. That was another decision, actually, wasn't it? It wasn't a penalty either. Mm. It came off. It, it, was just, it wasn't a penalty. It was just a shambles of an afternoon, really, wasn't it? Across the board, everywhere. But, I mean, let's be honest. Swansea, they've took some time to get going. It's been a disappointing start. It's been underwhelming. But they're slowly beginning to kick into some sort of rhythm. And for Russell Martin, he knows that he's fortunate enough when fit and firing and up and at it, he's probably got one of the best strike force in the league in Obafemi and Pirot. Got a lot of goals last season, went under the radar for me, didn't get enough credit for what they did. So hopefully it's a sign of things to come. But for Mick Beale and QPR, they can feel aggrieved. But on the on the overall balance of the game, they didn't do enough. Definitely. A couple of draws. Um, West Brom won, Burnley won was the Friday night game. Dramatic finish. Now this was a bit of a weird <laughs> one for me because I thought West Brom were the better team. Vincent Company thought West Brom were the better team, but I don't really know how Burnley didn't win because they went one nil up. Definite penalty, good finish from Jay Rodriguez. Cherlinov misses a glorious chance where he hits the inside of the post after being put clean through one on one, and they should have had a stonewall penalty for a handball by Dara Roche. So Burnley could have easily, easily scored three goals, and yet I, Vincent Company, and Steve Bruce all agree that West Brom probably were the better team and deserved to win it. So that that was a, a weird juxtaposition. Um, good to see West Brom giving a chance to someone further down the pyramid in, in Brandon Thomas Asante. It's probably something they've not done enough. Look down the lower reaches, around £300,000, I believe, they've paid to sign him from Salford City. And he's going to be an alternative off the bench. I don't expect him to start 30 championship games. You know, they've got Carl and Grant. Daryl DK will be back in a, probably six to eight weeks. But he's someone who could come off the bench and he, he might be able to make a little bit of a name for himself. And it was a good poacher's effort. I have to say, I think John Swift deserves a lot of credit. It's a really good ball in, in the dying seconds to show the composure and quality. Literally the 98th minute to put a ball in like that. He deserves credit for that. That's why they brought him in. Comes off Connor Roberts, who doesn't defend it brilliantly. But it's a, it's a good finish. It's a poacher's strike from Thomas Asante. And, you know, Steve Bruce wanted a striker. I think I, I think we all expected it to be a loan from a Premier League club where he's got a few connections rather than them dipping down the leagues. You know, someone that we don't know can do it at championship level, but we don't know they can't either. He's got certainly some attributes to suggest that he could be a championship player. So it was just a nice footballing story for them to go for him and and not really a Steve Bruce or West Brom thing to do. So I like they booked the trend that way and he instantly rewarded them with a 98th minute equaliser. Indeed he did. He certainly wasted no time, did he? And, you know, he's one of these players that's come in and you don't really know an awful lot about him, what he could do at this level. He could be, you you know... You've not watched the Salford documentaries? No. (laughs) He could be, let's be honest, you never know. He could be the next Jamie Vardy. Let's see if he takes off like that. But 
it's a really good start. I mean, what more can you ask for from on your debut getting a goal in dramatic circumstances like that against a Burnley side who are going to be up there come the end of the season, you would think. I didn't see the game in full on Friday night, I must admit. I didn't I didn't watch any of it. I've seen the highlights. And like you said, it looked like Burnley, from what I saw, were the better team. But obviously, you, that's proven not to be the case by not obviously seeing the full game. Um, obviously, the first goal is a clear penalty, no doubt about it. What a pass it is by Murić. Excellent control and touch by Teller to bring oh, it down. T- and talk buttons, to me about that touch, George. Nathan yeah, Teller. it was superb. And I'll tell you something, Nathan Teller is threatening to be one of the, for me, already on the evidence and the form he's producing, he's one of the signings of the summer. He's looking really, really promising and really lively. And I think Vincent Company's played a bit of a masterstroke bringing him into the club. But overall, Burnley looked the better side. They should have had a penalty, no doubt about it, for the Darrow Shea handball. I couldn't believe when I saw the highlights of that 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 wasn't given. And again, another dubious decision this weekend across the four divisions. But West Brom, to their credit, they didn't refuse to give up. They kept going and going and going and got the rewards in the end. And they've managed to claim a point, which, you know, it's uh, it's better than defeat. It could be a valuable point come the end of the season. But overall, it's it's been an uninspiring start for West Brom, really, hasn't it? But their performances have deserved more than what they've got. Definitely. I've seen a, fair, seen a fair bit of West Brom so far. And the game that always stands out for me was the 1-1 draw with Watford back at the start of the season where I thought they were absolutely superb that night and drew 1-1. So, Steve Bruce is at the minute being killed by the draws. They've played eight games, but they've only lost one and they've only won one. So, six draws already. They're becoming the new Millwall of the Championship draw specialists. So, it's really strange because, you know, with the attacking talent West Brom have got, as they did against Hull not long ago, they can put teams to the sword. So, I do think it will all click for Steve Bruce. And to be fair to Steve Bruce, one of the criticisms Steve Bruce has often had has been the style of play rather than results because he's always been a manager capable of getting results at this level. There's no doubt about that. But it seems to be the other way around for him this time in the fact that the performances are there and the football's, you know, it's of a decent standard, but they just can't seem to win games. It's a strange situation, but I do think with the players West Brom have got, Steve Bruce is a vastly experienced manager. They will turn things round, I'm sure of that. And as I say, the, the Burnley performance was, was proof in the pudding that they've got the capability of competing with the very best in this league. So you look ahead to their next crop of fixtures, Coventry away, Birmingham at home, Norwich away, big games to come, but you fear they've got to get three points in that home game against Birmingham. That is a must. Local derby and all that, but they've got to win the game. They need to start turning the Hawthorns into a place where they're going to get wins on the board. Yeah, absolutely. And then just finally, Rotherham United won, Watford won. Rotherham still unbeaten in the Championship. Really, really good form, particularly at the New York Stadium. Um, and Chris Wood, uh, Chris Wood, Richard Wood can't stop scoring. It, Richard Wood is more befitting of Chris Wood right now, uh, with four goals already this season. An opportunist header. And Rotherham, good value again. Good equaliser from Bayo. It was a nice move down the left from Watford. And in fairness, they, they did need to thank Victor Johansson for a really good save to keep out in a Sprilla shot. Um, but Rotherham just consistently proving they are currently playing at a championship-level team, which is not something they've managed to do that often in the last three attempts of staying up. But despite probably having the weakest squad, maybe, of these last four seasons in, in on paper, they're clearly proving that wrong. As I say, some good additions that we spoke about last week, like Grant Hall, Cameron Humphreys, um, Cohen Bramall's been good as well, and Benny and Washington still causing problems at the top end of the pitch. So, you know, there's been some good teams that have gone to Rotherham, 
and equally some decent sides they've been away to and they've still not lost. No, certainly not. And I mean, the Richard Wood fairy tale just lives on and on and on, doesn't it? It's, it's unbelievable. Four goals already for him. And I'll tell you something, he took that header against Watford so well. A striker would have been proud of that. It was a brilliant header. But Rotherham, I mean, you know, they're defying all odds, aren't they? I know they've they've had the blip in the week with the 3-0 defeat at Sunderland. But overall, I mean, what a start for Paul Warren's side. They've really, really done very, very well. They've taken 10 points in the first seven, just like Wigan. Identical record to them. So it seems like the new clubs are adapting really, really well. It's really surprising. And Rotherham, I think, the the fact that they managed to retain their key players at the end of the window, Barlasa, Wiles, Ogbené, that's really confidence-boosting for the whole group, the whole club, Paul Warren. And like I've said, Paul Warren is probably one of the most popular managers in English football. And you do want him to do well. He deserves it. And albeit seven games in, they're looking far more comfortable with the demands of the Championship than they were the last few times they've been in the division. So there is cause for optimism at Rotherham this time. They look really good. And, you know, if you've got Richard Wood chipping in with goals, there's a genuine chance that anything can happen, isn't there? I mean, it's unbelievable. I couldn't believe When I saw he scored again yesterday, I thought, wow, he's done it again. Four in three home games. <laughs> Absolutely unreal. So I think the big, just the biggest thing for Rotherham is they've just got to find a way to be able to put that ball in the net a little bit more. That's the only thing. Obviously, they've got the four against Reading, but aside from that, they've not really been overly convincing in front of goal. That's the only criticism. Defensively, they don't look too bad. You know, overall, though, 12th in the league after seven games. Perfect start. I realised I just said Rotherham are unbeaten. I forgot they got whooped 3 0 uh, in the week by Sunderland, in which they were second best. But still Aren't you very... silly? You're dis- disproving Tony Mowbray there. I am. Disgraceful. I am. Um, so apologies to Tony Sunderland and, and all the uh, all the fans that I've, I've deeply upset in the last twenty seconds. But yeah, really good start to Rotherham, and that rounds off this weekend's action. This is the Championship Chat Podcast. Going to move on for our shocks and bankers now, George. As always, to round off the pod, what are you going for for next weekend's action? Well, we've certainly got plenty of uh, fixtures to choose from on Saturday. Looks good this coming weekend. Eleven of the twelve games, three o'clock on a Saturday. Just how football should be. So, from a banker right, this weekend, Brexit on me. I'm going with British football tradition, mate. I'm going for my banker. I've got to go for Sheffield United at home to Rotherham. I know I've just said Rotherham have had a really good start, but the Blades at home. You're going to have Whitlash They've been relentless, haven't they, at home, United. They really have. They've won every home game so far. They've put Red into the sword in midweek. So I'm going to go for Sheffield United as my banker for this coming weekend. Shock. I've struggled to pick one out, I must be honest. But I'm going to go quite bold. and I'm going to go for Huddersfield to win away at QPR. Huddersfield, obviously, as we record this, I've got a game Sunday afternoon. They could get a win against Blackpool to give them a little bit of momentum. But I've seen signs in the last few weeks that they are beginning to adjust under Danny Schofield. There's been improvements there. QPR, for me, the most hit-and-miss team in the Championship. One week, they're brilliant. The next week, they're really off it. So, going to go bold. Going to go for Huddersfield as my shock for this coming weekend. I've got two entirely different ones to you, which is always nice. My banker, I'm going for Bristol City to beat Preston at home. Uh, Preston obviously don't score goals, although if they're going to score goals, Bristol City's probably the team they'll manage it against. But I just think, even though Preston have been obviously watertight at the back generally this season, I think Bristol City's front three, I was so impressed with them on Saturday. Maybe a bit of recency bias from the fact I saw them in the flesh yesterday, but I think Vyman, Semenyo, Conway, Wells, 
I just think they could, they, they, it looks like a home win for me. So Bristol City to beat Preston at home. And then my shock, I'm going to go for Cardiff to beat Hull. Because as I say, although I have concerns about where the goals will come from from Cardiff, and I think we both do, I do think they're going to be a team that probably might have the most stark contrast between home and away form. Because I do think in pretty much all the games they've played, they've been the best team at home. Beat West Brom, should have beat Preston. Um, and I'm trying to think of the other games. They, who did they beat on the... Beat Bristol City? Birmingham. Birmingham, Birmingham. that's the game I'm thinking of. It was Birmingham, yeah, when um, when Philadine Badant scored, yeah. Um, they've been the best team in all, three, in all three of those home games so far. And I think that their home form will continue to be a source of, of um, points for them. So I think Cardiff to beat Hull at home is going to be my shock and Bristol City to beat Preston North End at home is my banker and that rounds off this week's episode of the Championship Chat Podcast please make sure you subscribe to this podcast feed wherever you get your podcasts from and you'll get the latest episode from us every single week follow us on Twitter and Instagram at ChampChatPod24 too a huge thanks as always to our sponsors Cards Accepted for their support please make sure you go and check them out at cardsaccepted.co.uk for all your needs and thanks for listening to this week's episode as always we'll catch you again for another episode of the championship chat podcast this is the championship chat podcast your home of news views and debate from england's second tier